0: hello welcome to steel city business the sheffield business podcast i'm james Marriott. i'll be your host as we explore the vibrant business scene of the glorious city of sheffield now in each episode we meet someone from across the steel city to learn more about them and of course their business I run my own business. It's called Sound Media, and it's all about helping brands to amplify their voice through audio marketing. If you want to find out more, then head to the show notes. There's more information there. And this podcast is supported by the lovely people at The Curious, creative agency in the centre of Sheffield. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us, maybe to suggest a guest or for any reason, then there are contact details in the show notes or head to steelcity.business. Right, that's enough for that. Let's meet our guest.
1: Hi, my name's Johnny Pavlik and I am the founder and CEO of Mantra Media, a marketing firm based between the UK and Japan. I'm the co-founder of Atelier Japan, a collection of luxury Japanese retail stores. And I'm also the founder of a augmented intelligence company called Prologue.
0: Johnny, welcome to Steel City Business. Thank you. You're not to know this, but you are the first episode of the uh, relaunched steel city business that i 've recorded now people listening to this it might not be the first episode that's released so it might not might not make sense to them um, but you're the first episode that i've um, that I've recorded or the first person that i've i've spoke to for uh, for the new format of this podcast and that's not by accident that's that's kind of deliberate I, I I really wanted you to be the first person that I sat down and had a chat with because I um, I'm trying to think which which end of the scale I want to go to in terms of how I describe this. So uh, at one end of the scale I would say that you're you're quite different, you're quite unusual. The other end of the scale I go, you're just a bit weird, um, and some, somewhere in that. But I you know I, I I feel like the first time that I came here, which is a few months ago, it was a really horrible day. It was throwing it down, really throwing it down. And I, I, I walk everywhere, so I, I drag myself in my umbrella, uh, a little bit a little bit sodden, wasn't wasn't great rang the doorbell, someone came to meet me and they knew who I was. They were expecting me. They knew that I was coming to to meet with you, which shouldn't be unusual. But the number of places that I go and I get there, and so say, I'm here to see Paul and they go, Paul, oh, I think he's in today. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, just wait here. I'll check for you. But you know, they knew, they knew that I was coming in. And then they asked me to take my shoes off and put some slippers on. And immediately I thought, this is not, your your businesses you've touched on that there's a very uh, definite Japanese influence this is not a gimmick this is something that that's that's lived and breathed throughout your business and that was the point where I thought something different here there's a a depth there's a level Mm. to what you've created it's a bit different and I, I guess in some way what I mean there is when you think about founders you think about entrepreneurs solopreneurs They're phrases that, when I think about that, I tend to think of quite flamboyant people. It's about how many houses they own and how many cars they've got and and, and stuff like that. Not all the time, but it it kind of conjures a particular image. And you are not that person. You are quite different. And I'm intrigued to to probe a little bit deeper to find out more about who you are and and how you've arrived at, at this point. For anyone that doesn't know about your background, just just fills in a little bit, if you would, do about your your journey.
1: Wow, that was one hell of an introduction. I'm not sure whether I'm humbled or perturbed that I'm the the weird. Uh, you wanted me because I'm the weird entrepreneur.
0: Um, it's, it's the good weird. The <laughs> uh,
1: so I I have said that myself before. I said I. Uh, the way I run businesses is very different to how most people run businesses. And a wonderful friend of mine said, yes, you are extraordinary when I use the word weird. And I thought that's much kinder. So I'm going to say I'm extraordinary in how I run a business. Um, So I do believe that how you engage with the world is partly dependent on your experiences and the interaction you have, and the, and the people that have affected you in some way throughout your childhood and, and further in life. And I think that's very pertinent when thinking about my position here and how I run a business. I grew up in a council estate in the East Midlands that wasn't fun. In fact, it was doubly not fun because I had a foreign name and I probably had a unusual way of speaking as a child. So it was it was quite difficult where I where I grew up. Uh, my walk to school was please avoid all the syringes, or avoid being chased by a dog that was probably going to definitely bite you. Some days I didn't go to school because my mother would look out the side of the front door and there'd be a huge Rottweiler which didn't have an owner and was probably not friendly. So there were lots of challenges I've, I faced growing up. I remember. One winter, being with my mother under numerous blankets and quilts because there was so much snow outside and we didn't have heating. Wow. I must have been about five years old at the time. Because we lived on a council estate, uh, we had an electric box outside the house. And the idea was that someone would go to the corner shop, put money on the electric box and we'd have electricity for the day. I had a paternal figure in my life who was... Um, let's say, weird in not a good way and uh, caused immense amounts of pain and and, uh, challenge, uh, both mentally, physically and emotionally. So coming from lack, coming from an area of poverty, having very little options, I ended up in a very different situation to those that I grew up around. So most people I I knew from when I was very young either ended up dead or in prison. Right. Uh, it was one or the other. Uh, they dealt drugs or they took them uh, or they got caught. I wasn't interested in anything like that. I had an extraordinary mindset, which was I believe I don't have to be in this situation. I believe that the... Challenges that I currently face don't dictate where I will be. And I loved reading. Right. I, I had an insatiable appetite ever since I was very, very young. I, I loved books. I remember one, it was one summer holiday. But I must have been about seven years old. And we had an encyclopedia. And I spent that entire summer finding out about certain animals from that encyclopedia and writing my own little book uh, by hand. And I think that was just my curious mind. I thought if I learnt enough, perhaps I could change my framework of thinking to get out of the situations I was facing. And uh, it worked. I do believe that extreme challenges can create resilience so, so some challenges you can affect can be affected by those challenges can end up owning you and you live in the trauma or you decide that you own the trauma and you can move past it. And I think that was I had a, a form of mental resilience
0: mm-hmm.
1: that set me apart, I think, from many of my peers when I was younger there was a lot of challenges in the... I went to a Roman Catholic school right. in the nearby area. And I was often put into groups with certain kids because they were the council estate kids. Right. And you were segregated from the well-off kids. Right. That was an interesting experience. My parents didn't believe me until one day they turned up and saw that I was segregated from most of my class. Academically, I was I was always being proficient. I've always loved learning and I've always been really passionate about learning. So, And grades-wise, I always did very well. I was always very good at at mathematics and physics and science and all the rest of it. So there there wasn't a a challenge in that way. It was just that I was from the poor area. So I believe these things are why I'm probably different to most business owners because 99.9% Of entrepreneurs or business owners are from wealth. Mm -hmm. You don't find kids from council estates owning businesses. And when they do, you don't find them reaching points where they're successful to the point that people notice. Uh, We were talking earlier about how I was featured in Forbes a couple of years ago and about ethics in business and how I partnered on an event at the house of lords recently i don't think many kids from my background get the opportunity to do things like that and i think that's due to the the system the class system that we have in the uk which determines your outcomes in life because of the stratified way in which kids from those types of areas aren't supported
0: I have to confess a bit of a vested interest at this point in terms of the fact that, so my background, I grew up on a council estate in Barnsley. Similarly, you know, generally quite a poor town, quite a challenging town to grow up in. Similar sort of thing where I I was already developing a radio voice when I didn't even know what radio was. And uh, that meant I sounded a bit different to other people. I sounded a bit posh, didn't have a particularly strong Barnsley accent. Um, You know, that led to certain situations and certain things happening. And I think about it quite a bit because things, things about um, resilience and authenticity and things that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on, and I look back and think, how important was that stuff that happened when I was younger in making me who I am now? And if I could, I can't, but if I could go back and change any of it, would I do? And I don't know if I've reached an answer to, to that. What, what, what would that be for you if you could go back and change things? Would you or did it have to play out like that? Was that integral to where you are now?
1: I, I would suggest that people don't necessarily have to suffer the challenges that I suffered as a child to become resilient, thoughtful, considered, caring of others. I think, if anything, it, it, probably, it probably delayed me a lot in life because I had to teach myself a lot Mm-hmm. about how to engage with people, how to navigate the the system. You know, how do you do things like pay your taxes and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. There, there are lots of things I didn't understand because I was never taught. I was never going to be taught. I think, yes, my experiences have, have definitely shaped me and they've given me a very heightened sense of empathy, which is useful because I like to be present with people. And I like to be of use. It's all part of my philosophy. So there's a lot of times in my life where I thought, you know, I could have died or I was put in a situation that was very difficult and very violent. And I think now looking back, I think, ah, okay, well, we're not here for very long. Mm. And we all know that to be true. None of us can deny that we have a finite existence. So whilst we're here... Why not be useful? Why not look after the people that you engage with? Why not be kind? And perhaps that is part of the fact that, you know, those that seem to suffer the most often give the most. I, I don't think that's always true. I think uh, I'm also a, a large advocate, I guess, of the phrase that hurt people hurt people because I see that often as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's that's been challenging for me in business because I think... In the past, I've given a lot uh, to the point of last year, I actually really struggled with burnout mm-hmm. because I kept giving and giving and giving uh, internally to, to certain members of our teams and externally to uh, certain clients that uh, would take my arms and legs uh, if they could. <laughs> and I think that's just the way it is sometimes. I think there are, I think there are unkind people in the world. But that shouldn't stop us from being authentically
0: caring. I'm going to I'm going to come back to the authenticity stuff. There's a lot for us to talk about with that. But have you ever had a normal job? Yes,
1: I had many normal jobs when I was a teenager. So when I was 12 years old, I had my first paper round. Right. I worked three paper rounds actually, and that was a way for me to earn a bit of pocket money. It was, I had to get up at five in the morning, cycle to a nearby town, uh, which was about three miles away, and then I had to deliver papers there. And then I would come back, and in the evening, I'd deliver papers in the local area. That was my first first job. And I, d- I did kind of retail and stuff when I was 13, 14, and various things like that, and learned about customer service, how to engage with challenging people, uh, the general public. And good
0: skills. Good skills. To
1: good learn. learning It's I think everybody should do retail or McDonald's or something like that at some good point. Work at bar their life. for a week. Yes, just to get some empathy and realize, you know that you know you should be kind to people. Yes, it wasn't until I was seventeen that I started uh, teaching guitar. Right, that was my first, I guess, odd job, and when I was. 18 I worked in a recording studio as a session musician and um part-time sound engineer. And that was fun. That was fun. It was something it was something to do whilst well, so I was studying my A levels. So I've always worked and when I went to university, I worked all the way through university. Right. At one point at university I had three jobs because that's what I had to do. That's what I had to do. When you grow up in a way where you have to fend for yourself. You will develop habits of being self-reliant.
0: When when did you know that you wanted to go into running your own business?
1: My first, I think, I've always been entrepreneurial. My first business was when I was about 10 years old. Right. So it's my first business. I used to write a newsletter at home on the weekend and sell it in the schoolyard Right. for, I think it was like 10p or something like that, and people bought it, and <laughs> it. So I I think I've always wanted to do things that were different or things that were needed. I wrote that newsletter, I think, because there were stories that I had. It's almost like a little kind of gazette or something like that. And I just thought, nobody's telling these stories. So... I've always found gaps. So, I mean, a decade ago, I formed Mantra. And I formed Mantra for a number of different reasons. One is I'm passionate about communication. I think being able to communicate stories that emotionally engage people can change their perception about certain things in a positive way. And everybody I knew who was working in marketing were only interested in money and not really delivering value. mm mm-hmm. Or just didn't have the real skills. The, the, the bar of entry is very low to this industry. And, and it has been for a few years. So there was lots of people who were just in it just to sell a service that they couldn't do. They just generally outsourced. And all of that felt wrong to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, I guess I am very black and white with things like that. And I thought, well, what if someone came into the market the only supported organisations that did good in the world. Refused to work with organisations that cause harm. And uh, and I guess stood as essentially a, a flag in the industry amongst a, a lot of sharks. Just saying, look, there's somebody here doing the right things for the right reasons, in the right way and delivering results every time. And... The businesses that we've helped scale and st- to sale is, is massive. But they have always been businesses we've believed in. We've worked with tons of charities and, as you know, with local governments uh, over here and and overseas. Yet the industry is still massively behind. If you go to an awards in, uh, industry show, everyone is talking about how they've won contracts for fast fashion, and those companies that you know—it's easy to find out. You do a research into them, you go, "Oh, they're still engaged in the slave trade," and you think this is all wrong. So yes, it, it, for me, there was a there was huge ethical positioning about that. I, j- I saw that things could be done better.
0: How difficult has it been to stay true to to that? And I ask because I so I feel that the business world and maybe the wider world to an extent very much tries to push you in a certain direction as if there's just this is how it works this is how businesses work and this is what you should do it it tries to push you a certain way and swimming against that tide must have been quite challenging
1: no Uh, okay and i'll explain that if you have an integrated understanding that you will not last forever your attachment towards physical objects is probably different from other people Some people go through life woefully ignorant and choose not to engage in a meaningful way with their own mind, their own thoughts. They are completely distracted, now more than ever, because of the polarization of conversation and rhetoric and all the rest of it. People are in their own, they're not even in their own heads, they are engaged in media consumption for dopamine hits that take them away from the process of actually being a human being. Right. I already had a a deep sense of longevity. I already had a deep sense of what was important to me, my values. So I didn't care. I didn't care about how other people wanted to do things. I wasn't interested in the, the brown envelopes that get stuffed into local government contracts so you can win a you know, a marketing campaign for a local I Y, Z. I wasn't interested in kissing the rings of, of certain local business owners. I mean, that's definitely hurt me in Sheffield. Right. Not in other cities in the UK, because it's not as bad. But there is, a, there is an old guard in certain cities where you have to kiss the ring. You have to buy from certain people to be included in certain networks. And I... Refuse to do anything that I feel is unethical. So how have I been able to be successful in that process? Well, I diversified where we operate. We've always had a a, a massive uh, push in Japan. We've always had a good push in the United States. So we didn't have to depend on any one geolocation to be successful. And we didn't have to be in the pockets of anybody. That makes, I guess, the old guard quite fearful of us because they know that I can't be bought. And I found certain networks really didn't like that.
0: That's really interesting. Um, You've always mentioned Japan a couple of times. Mm. The impression that I get is uh, that, that that's not just you look at a map thinking, oh, Japan, there's a country that we could break into there's a it goes deeper than that there's an influence there isn't there where where does that come from then where does where does that where does that uh, originate
1: so i I used to do jujitsu japanese jujitsu right which is its origins three times a week for about 13 years i loved so i originally did martial arts uh because of where i grew up and if i didn't do martial arts i would have been in trouble right but there was a discipline to it and i was i became fascinated with the culture and when i got a bit older i i became more interested in japanese popular culture and then when i was at university i met my now business partner massa we met i think in about 2007 and we just clicked straight away. My Japanese at the time was was minimal and his English was, was OK-ish. <laughs> um, but we just got on really well. Um, we we just became, you know, really good friends overnight. And we've been close friends ever since. And I think it was in 2013, we did some big charity projects together and with, between Japan and the UK and... And then in 2015, Mantra was scaling really quickly. And I said, I think we can do this in Japan. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, what it's like when you're with your friends, they're kind of like, yeah, if you said it, it'll probably happen. So, so we organized a group of seminars in Kyoto in 2016 and um, we filled them all. Right. And I gave training courses in Kyoto to businesses, local government and their local universities in Kyoto and the consequence of that is we thought we'll give people all these skills they can go away and do them and we can start to slowly kind of build a base in Japan uh, the opposite happened they came to the seminars to test me and when they finished they said ah you really know what you're doing can we hire you oh wow. So we ended up gaining a group of clients overnight, right. which was amazing. And at the same time, we started gaining clients in the U.S., in Houston. So it was, it was interesting how those things just came together at the same time, which was wonderful. And ever since then, we've done so much in supporting local Japanese governments in the U.K. and vice versa. So the cultural institution for Japan... In the UK is called Japan House, based in South Kensington. And we did their digital strategy. We did their planning for their website and uh, their social media, and we used to manage their social media and all that kind of thing. So we are, I guess, the experts. And I've been asked to speak at UKTI and various other institutions to talk on how to do business with Japan. We succeeded where multinationals have failed. And I think the secret sauce to that was a genuine curiosity and not imposing my culture on them. Mm. It was me going, actually, this is really interesting. Tell me more. Mm. Why do you do that? That's really interesting.
0: I guess you, you probably get asked this all the time, but I think it's an important question to ask. You mentioned America there, the USA. Imagine for a lot of kind of British-based businesses, maybe Sheffield-based businesses, doing business in, in America probably doesn't seem that strange. The language is the, is the same. Whereas Japan would seem like a slightly different world. There's, there's obviously there's, there's, there's language, the culture is quite different. How, how much different is it doing work and doing business in Japan?
1: It is completely different. After I gave the seminars... My business partner didn't tell me about this uh, because he uh, likes to surprise me sometimes (laughs) in interesting ways. Eat this. What is it? You'll find out. (laughs) Uh, Cheers, mate. So after the seminars, Master said, now we do the presentation. I've just done two days of presentations, mate. I'm knackered. Uh, They work long hours. Right. They're dedicated and passionate about what they do. Right. Uh, So almost that kind of Elon Musk way of working, you know, uh, as he says, go hardcore, you know, go all in. Um, So we we were very tired and I was like, what's this presentation? And um, so I sat in front of all our uh, attendees and one by one, each attendee stood up in front of the whole group. And... Told me about how the training felt for them, right? What they really enjoyed, what they learned, okay, and how I've impacted them. Wow! And the kindness and the generosity of having thirty odd people stand up one by one, talking for five minutes, sometimes longer, about why they thought that this was brilliant and they're thankful to you i was that was a huge cultural shock it was very emotional mm-hmm. that was one of the things that that struck me in it and there's been many cases like that in japan where people have been kind because they wanted to give and there's this i mean they're a collectivist culture so it's all about collaboration and I think that's why we've, we've always done very well in Japan. They've always looked after us. And the same is in the US. Uh, there's a lot more, even though the, the US is opposite from an individualistic perspective, when it comes to business, they are far more collaborative than we are in the UK. I was talking about this last night after I'd got off the phone with somebody in Miami. And she was talking about the collaboration And I've noticed that massively. I mean, we've got quite a few clients in New York and they will just introduce you to other business owners they work with, know, and say, you need to work with Johnny. And they're not asking for anything. There's no setup of fees. There's no encouragement. There's nothing. It's just they want to help you because it's collaboration. And then obviously they expect at some point you will probably do the same they're not formalizing it. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, I, I want to help you. And I think that's something that's really missing from the UK. I think it's a top-down thing. I think, so you've high context, uh, high, high culture, low culture, I think the way that our country is run cascades. So if you have all the people at the top taking advantage of everyone underneath them and those opposite them, Uh, that kind of culture cascades, unfortunately. It's quite sad, I think, the the way the the UK is at the moment. And obviously, having worked with politicians and in local government as well as central government, the behaviours that you see are anarchic in a way that's so self-serving. No wonder people of a particular level of privilege are all doing the same thing. And that's why the several homes and the several cars uh, is the thing they concentrate on because it's where they find meaning. If you strip all that back, I think that is an interesting conversation to have. I've had... So I like to ask people interesting questions to understand who they are because I'm genuinely interested in who people are. Sometimes that creates different... Effects. Sometimes, (laughs) some some people break down, and they and they cry because somebody's genuinely interest interested in who they are as a human being, and that's a unique experience for them. Right. Sometimes they don't know what to say, and they say, "Can I go away and think about that?" I once asked somebody who was running a business that had run that had got I think about three million pounds. Um, Series A investment, and they're all about creating positive work cultures. And this was the CEO I was talking talking to, and he talked about love all the time, and there was love in all their marketing, and blah 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 blah. And I thought, oh, maybe maybe we're quite values aligned. You know how to love your neighbour and give and be collaborative and all that stuff. When I was on a call with him, I said so where do you find purpose and the cogs stopped right. they stopped for an extended period so there was a pause and I wasn't going to interrupt him there was a pause that was unique there was a, a bit of stuttering and then there was a can I come back to you right. we never spoke again mm. and it would be obvious to me, if you were running an organization that was about supporting the lives of others, that probably would have, should have been an easy question. Yeah, yeah. Which made me realize this person didn't believe in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They were there for a wholly different
0: reason. This, this brings us nicely back to the subject of authenticity. Which um, I feel we could probably have made the main topic of conversation in this um, in this podcast episode, because I know it's something that you're really passionate about. It's something that I find really interesting. Um, and there's probably been a thread. Anyone listening to this has probably picked up that thread all the way through in terms of authenticity. You, you recently started doing um, a daily video on your LinkedIn page. Now, that's not particularly unusual. You know, founders... Of, of businesses will will do that. It's often in a studio with fancy lighting and maybe several different camera shots. I kind of refer to it as the Stephen Bartlett effect that people seem to it's become like the holy grail for now to, for, for people to kind of do podcast videos, whatever it, it might be. But yours is just very much stripped back. Might even be in this particular room that we're in now. It's just you talking into your phone camera. There's there's, there's no fancy editing. It's, it's just you... Just kind of spilling what's in your brain, really, isn't it? It's it, it comes across as being not particularly rehearsed. It's not something that you, you're you're trying to phrase things very carefully. It's just you being very very honest, mm. which is a ridiculously simple thing to do, but feels quite unique and quite different because your your guard's very much down. You are very honest in those videos, talking about things that maybe haven't gone so well, talking about um, feedback that you've had, just just being very much yourself why why did you decide to do that so we played with the idea for about
1: six months of building a podcast studio upstairs here and and obviously uh, we discussed that because you're the you're the audio guy and i kept seeing a lot of these conversations that just seemed to lack authenticity they seemed to only say the things that they wanted to say They weren't actually sharing useful information about a journey. They just wanted to promote a product, stick to the lines that they've been given. And then I saw a trend on LinkedIn of people, you know, setting up podcast studios, cutting them up and, and then doing lots of flashing lights and music and transitions and all that stuff, you know, that video editing. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice If somebody just shared a genuine journey. Somebody that started out like you and I did on a council estate in in an area that was really tough, but got somewhere and then genuinely shared every day the ups, the downs, what they do, how they do it, why they do it. All of that stuff that doesn't get shared. There are quite well-known figures... In the public, who never share, they never share anything of the journey that actually makes sense. So they go, so they'll say, Right, I now run a business that turns over X million. Okay, how did you get there? What did you do? And usually, what you get back is very opaque, thinking of a certain human being that I won't uh, name. Uh, somebody runs a podcast and got a lot of investment early on through family connections, yet claims to have been um, very poor. So there's a lot of that inauthenticity uh, in the world. And I, I was thinking about this quite a bit. I was thinking, what if I just share my journey and just raw, no editing? No lighting, no transitions, just nothing, just me talking to a camera yeah. every day. So you know it's authentic, you know it's real, and I'm just sharing the things that have happened. As you say, it's not rehearsed, uh, which is very obvious by all the mistakes i probably made. Yet the idea there is very simple and unfortunately incredibly difficult for most people. I get messages daily from people who something I've said has touched them in a particular way. It's helped them. So I thought if I share this journey, perhaps it will help somebody. I thought if I share authentically the things that I do, perhaps it will resonate. I wanted to record my year and I wanted to bring authenticity to this because there are so many people who run marketing firms, communication companies, and it's all hot air. They say all this stuff and they tell people to do things that aren't useful. I won't mention his name, but there is somebody in my field, uh, let's call it an American chap, who thinks that you should imagine the deaths of your family members individually. He's a very famous person. Uh, to for you to get any form of um, appreciation of the world that you have. Uh, and he's been very vocal about this. It went viral last year. And there are creepy people <laughs> like that who say really dumb shit to vulnerable people and put them further at risk because they don't know what they're doing and they've only achieved achieved... What they have due to family connections or the fact that they were given an easy ride and born in certain amount of wealth. A certain amount of wealth gives you very easy connections when you're very young. As somebody who studied in Oxford, I saw that firsthand. Uh, some of my friends uh, I was like oh so what are you doing now you've graduated oh I'm going to work the head of marketing for this big investment firm in London I was like oh wow that's incredible you wow you're going to be on a six-figure salary straight away straight out of uni that's amazing well my dad who's currently living on this island this true story by the way uh, one of my friends she was like my dad who's currently living on this island because he retired uh, 10 years ago Uh, Well, he's, uh, you know, he's a shareholder there. So he's just told them that's what's happening. Oh, really? Okay.
0: You you can tell how passionate you are about this. I I remember thinking when you first started talking on LinkedIn about doing these daily videos, you sounded quite frustrated. Like, why is no one else doing this? And, uh, you know, frustration, passion, there's real emotion behind it many years down the, the, the line, what what impact do you want to have left behind? What do you want people, um, when they think back about Johnny, what, what, what do you want to have, have achieved? So
1: I've always, every interview I've ever done, um, and I've done tons for about 20 odd years. I think our first interview was even longer than that ago now. When I was in the music industry, Impact is the thing I've already, I've always said. Mm-hmm. I want to create impact. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, funnily enough. A lot of people, and you, as you've seen, a lot of people have described me in different ways online and have been very, very, very kind, particularly in the entrepreneurial support networks that I run. People are, are wonderfully kind about me, and I'm always, always very humbled by that. So I like the elephant's in the forest analogy right cause no harm with very few wishes like elephants in the forest I love that because it it's that idea of one don't cause harm you don't need and I mean obviously a position now where economically I have all the options which is lovely
0: Mm -hmm. but it
1: I still recognize it doesn't mean anything. The thing that's important more than anything else is the human being you become. Mm. That's everything. The human being that you become. Cognitive consist- consistency. I have these values. Therefore, I think like this and I behave like this. And I think if I could be remembered for anything, I think it was... That I did the right thing, for the right reasons in the right way.
0: Do you do you feel that you're there now in terms of do you kind of you know when you take those moments of stepping back thinking, I'm really happy with the person I've become, or do you do you still feel that there's more of your journey to 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 come?
1: I think so. It's so interesting you asked that question because I was thinking about this. I, so I've got a very very long. Walk to work if I walk to, to, to the building here uh, because I live out in the countryside. Right. Uh, but I like that. I like just walking. I've always been somebody who's, who's not really been really into driving. I, I prefer walking. I, I think, again, that's it's, it's partly ethics, it's partly about looking after yourself, staying fit. And in, this morning I was walking, I was thinking, I think this year I'll be fully formed think i was actively thinking about the way that my brain works now which works far better but i think one of the best things that you can have is consistency of thoughts so when you know you know when you have intrusive thoughts and sometimes you think crazy stuff you know it's that analogy isn't it You, you take the um washing powder or washing liquid and you pour it in the thing and you've got an intrusive thought, like, drink it! Um, (laughs) You know, your brain just says silly things to you sometimes. And that's normal. Everybody goes through that. I've been cognitively consistent in a way that I think is, I'm going to say extraordinary, uh, not weird, (laughs) Um, more so than ever in my life. So having consistently good thinking, thinking about things, optimistically in a very structured way that's uninterrupted that's making me think ah I'm probably getting to the point where I'm there where I want to be and that, there's lots of metrics um, about me being fully cooked I mean I'll, I'll give you a, a little example I love reading and this year so I, somebody asked me uh, yesterday are you they said are you going to read a book every week this year and I said, well, I haven't planned on that. It's not a resolution. It's not a goal. It's not an aim. I just said, I want to read more this year. But actually, I've read a book every week so far. I know we're only a couple of weeks in, but uh, I'm on my way to finishing my third book of the year. And these are all, you know, books that are in, interest me and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And that's one of the things. I, I want to accumulate as much knowledge as I, as I can so I can be useful. So that, that being kind of fully cooked or fully formalized thing I think is internally yes I'm nearly there externally the impact I want to have the things I want to do the things I want to achieve just scratching the surface
0: have you ever drunk washing a liquid no (laughs) good answer good answer that would be weird not extraordinary you you said something a few minutes ago that's really interesting in terms of you've been doing interviews talking about things for for years and years and years i'm aware all these episodes that i do with people will probably be talking about stuff that they've talked about before Mm -hmm. and i want to try and end every one of these episodes by just getting people to talk about something that maybe they haven't done before so obviously this being the first one that we've recorded I, i spent a long time thinking about how do i want to do that And so it's really simple. So my final question is, what are you really passionate about that you never get asked about? Oh,
1: I have a lot of varied interests. (laughs) Probably uh, physical fitness. Right. Probably physical fitness. So I've, I've been training in gyms since I was 13. Right uh yes it wasn't allowed at the time and i've been super active my whole life and i um, about 10 years ago most most of the guys I, I was around were looking much older than they were and were gaining bellies and and all the rest of it and becoming very unhealthy i feel very proud that i've always kept my health because right. i've been so consistent Yep. So uh, running, going to the gym so many times a week, doing yoga every day, meditation, all that stuff, co- co- consistent my entire life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I've always been physically active. And that's something I'm really passionate about because it changes the way you think. It changes your brain. It changes your, your internal health. And it will massively affect your longevity, your ability to do things, your energy levels, all that stuff. So I'm super passionate about it. I... <laughs> have some unrealistic expectations of myself when it comes to my my body shape and stuff like that. And I do share my, my bodybuilding journey online and people are uh, usually on kind of Facebook and stuff and people are always very shocked when they see my physique. Right. So at one point I did a, some fitness modeling and I was in certain magazines and things like that. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. I was uh, not as clothed as I am today. <laughs> um, and uh, I... I had a body shape that I've just kept. And it's because I I just never let it go. And diet, I'm so consistent with my diet. My my daily lunch at the moment is some salad, carrots, broccoli, chicken breast, hummus, and balsamic vinegar. And I absolutely love that as a meal. My snack of the day is a packet of plantain. Right. (laughs) Or kind of hummus, hummus crisps, something like that. And then, you know, my, my evenings, something similar. Or salmon. I only really eat two meals a day, uh, generally. Uh, I used to do intermittent fasting. So I'm super passionate and interested in fitness, health and fitness. Something that most people don't know about me, I don't think I've ever shared on, uh, on any interview, is that when I was 17 years old, just turned 17 i desperately wanted to spend more time in the gym right but as i was at college i couldn't really afford it on Mm -hmm. top of everything else so i went to fitness first and i said is there a way that i can train for free and they said do you want to learn how to be a fitness instructor and i said yeah sure and they said okay clean the gym for 30 hours a week yeah we will give you your qualification train you up to be a fitness instructor and you can use the gym for free so whilst i was studying for my as levels i was also spending my evenings and weekends working and going to the gym and studying and i did i did
0: you still have that qualification yeah wow
1: and i and that's and i guess that's why i'm I'm good at that stuff as well, you know. I have done a lot of research into the science
0: side yeah. of it as well. So So is get get fit with Johnny, is that your next <laughs> series then? Is that when you've got to forward to Do
1: you know what? I would love to do something macro around health and fitness because I'm getting older, yet I've kept my energy levels, I've kept looking young. I don't know, I've I've kept a lot of things that I think a lot of people lose because they, they don't know the right habits.
0: It's another industry where there's a lot of bullshit.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. And it, it's not about fad. It's not about this diet or that diet. It's, it's a consistent way of being. So it's, for me, I do something hard for a bit until it becomes easy. And then it's not a thing I even think about. It's just a thing I do. Yep. For example, where I, when I get up in the morning, I stretch and I do a yoga routine. At least 15 minutes, at most half an hour. Just every morning. And it's not something I think about. I go downstairs, I grab a, a glass of water, I go into my meditation room, and uh, I do a yoga session. Straight after that, I, I meditate on a very large tatami mat, and I meditate for about 15 minutes. And that is before I... Start emails. I was up at three this morning, so I started comms at about five uh, before I came, you know, traveled to the office. And that's kind of generally my morning. And it's not something I think about. It's just something I do.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. we all have things we do. But if we can just train the things that we just do and accept them as the things that actually help us, then it it will just work.
0: Well, we definitely went in a, 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 an unexpected... <laughs> direction, an extraordinary <laughs> direction um, to finish that off there, there is, as I expected there would be, there's about 20 questions that that I, I've not been able to ask you and we uh, have gone way over the time that we said that we'd record for but as I said at the beginning, I do think you have something that's different i think that what you offer the way that you talk about things is is wonderfully unusual and 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 that's um fantastic to see and in terms of this conversation it's been everything that i i thought it would be and and more what we've not done is really talk very much about your businesses (laughs) um but but, um we we will put some links and things like that into the um show notes for anyone that just want to find out more about what you do but thank you ever so much for your time today thanks James it's, it's a pleasure thanks very much for listening to this episode of Steel City Business it's been really lovely to have you with us now you know how this works if you've enjoyed it and you want in on future episodes then just follow us on your podcast app or on YouTube the show is very active on LinkedIn just search for Steel City Business and come and connect with me as well while you're at it big thank you to the curious for helping make this podcast happen there's loads more about the show at steelcity.business and you can get in touch by emailing james at steelcity.business and hey if you're in business in sheffield then well why not put yourself forward as a guest for a future episode and of course we're always open for a good chat about how audio marketing could work for your brand until next time thanks for listening